Hey everyone, and welcome to this week's The Universe and You, the show where I get to tell you guys about some wild things in the universe. So this week, I have something a little bit special and very different. The topic this week is the multiverse theory, or theories. So, I, okay, I guess I admit this is cheating because it's not technically our universe. In the past two episodes, I've tried to give you a sense of the scale of the void that surrounds our pale little tiny blue planet. We talked about the sheer magnitude of galaxies and the destructive crushing forces of black holes. But what if it's... that's not it. What if even outside of the universe around us there's more? Maybe things more terrifying or more destructive. What if it's all infinite? What if it's not outside our universe but overlaid on top of it? Happening concurrently, not separately. Happening in the same space just shifted. These are the questions we're going to, okay, definitely not answer, but maybe I can at least give you the barest shape of the questions you should try to be asking. So this theory, or I guess what would become these theories, started out in 1952 and it was in Dublin by none other than Erwin Schrodinger. And he said to his class, I might seem lunatic, but he said that his equations, which were sound and viable, and things that we are at least basing our current theories off of, suggested actually that there are several distinct histories, several different timelines, at least, all occurring at the same time. This was the first idea, the barest bones, the first time the term multiverse was used. So, the specifics, there's a lot of theories out there, because no one can really definitively prove any of them, or even give evidence to. And that kind of begs a question as to why this is this so pervasive in our science if we have zero evidence. So that's something we're going to talk about a little later. So, the multiverse theory has been a part of cosmology, physics, astronomy, religion, philosophy, transpersonal philosophy, and literature for uh, probably about a century. But is it really science? See, because of the nature of the multiverse theory, or at least several of them, just assume from now on when I say the multiverse theory, I mean most of them, because not, not everything I say here is going to be universally true. The multiverse theory can't be definitively disproven, which is a fundamental requirement for the scientific method. So now, is it philosophical? Dr. Paul Steinhardt of Princeton argues that no experiment can disprove something if the theory being tested allows for all possible outcomes. So, if the infinite universe has infinite variety, then no test could disprove its existence. A Nobel laureate once said that if the multiverse existed, it would become impossible to find definitive answers for primal sources of creation like the Big Bang, because you're looking at multiple universes with multiple rules and multiple sets of constants for things. So, the Big Bang, the thing we're trying to nail down some specifics about, we'll never be able to do it, because the Big Bang will be fundamentally different throughout time. So, evidence. Is there any? Uh, no, there is not. The only evidence that's ever come up was actually later disproven as an imperfect interpretation of data, and just the result of poor resolution from the Wilkinson microwave and a Strepi probe. It was actually disproven by the Planck satellite, which has three times better resolution. But despite all this, despite the challenges to this idea, the advocates and skeptics on both sides of this argument are actually kind of surprising. 
Among the advocates are some really big names, like Stephen Hawking, that legendary physicist, Brian Greene, that, you know, that personality, and also string theory advocate, and Neil deGrasse Tyson, who needs no introduction. Now, the skeptics are uh, people who are equally as renowned in the science field, but are less kind of pop culture known. Uh, the, there are men like Steven Weinberg, Paul Steinhardt, Paul Davies, people that are our professors, are respected theoretical astrophysicists, and just cannot get on board with the idea of the multiverse. And I'll also say that Paul Davies is the chair for SETI, which is, you know, in the scientific community, uh, many people regard it as a joke, or as more fringe. So Paul Davies, who's already known for being kind of involved in these fringe ideas, is still not convinced of the possibility of the multiverse. In fact, he's an active active opponent to it. So the criticisms. And there are many. So Paul Davies, coming up again, has some particularly uh, cutting words to say, and I have a quote here. Invoking an infinity of unseen universes to explain the unusual features of the one we do see is just as ad hoc as invoking an unseen creator. The multiverse theory may be dressed up in scientific language, but in essence, it requires the same leap of faith. So he says that in the end, since the multiverse is largely unprovable, it requires that leap of faith. I take some issue with this, but, you know, I'm just here to give you the facts, I'm not here to tell you what I believe. But, that is what Paul Davies uh, does say. George Ellis took a particular issue with the believed possibility of observable evidence. He argues that since some advocates for the multiverse theory, especially the ones that also are advocates for the string theory, and its various little quirks, or quirks, <laughs> describe the other universes uh, not as concurrent with ours, but as distant and separate. So separate, in fact, that there's no way we could observe them. So Ellis says that, clearly, since the scientific community that believes in the multiverse theory cannot even provide any situation where they can measure them, it must be false. He says that the multiverse theory answers none of the questions about existence that it was meant to answer. The why are we here, who are we, and what do we mean? He says this is just metaphysics. It's not provable or sustainable. So cosmologist Max Tegmark produced this taxonomy of universes that are separate from observable universe. He created this list as a classification, but he, he describes it as that, oh, it's a ranking system. It works its way out. And so we'll start with level one, which is simply an extension of our universe. There are several universes, at least this theory argues, each of which have a Hubble volume. Now, Hubble volume is just the sphere outside of which objects will recede from the observer faster than the speed of light. So it's not the same as the observable universe. It's actually much smaller, but it means that objects are accelerating too quickly away for us to see, not current images, of course, but us to see uh, images. So each of these universes share physical laws and constraints. The variation between them all, they're not identical. The variation comes from the configuration and nature of matter. You know, which way quarks are spinning, what their color is, how electrons interact with protons, if those even exist in the first place. That's what the level one multiverse kind of provides. That's how it provides that variation. 
So some universes will be similar to ours, or the same, because they are infinite. Infinite does not restrict the possibility of copies. It just means that somewhere elsewhere, and he actually provides a prediction, uh, which is a complicated number that I'm not quite sure how to kind of convey over this audio medium, but he does provide this uh, number that is estimate for how far away from our universe we would find a similar universe, or rather a copy. So this requires the assumption that our Hubble volume, our little piece of the universes, is not unique or special. And I, to me, this is really reminiscent of the heliocentric versus uh, geocentric argument. The geocentric argument was that Earth was the center of the universe. Earth had man on it. Earth was where God came. Earth was where Jesus was born. Clearly, this must be the center of it all. And when Galileo came along, or even his predecessors, but the first renowned one was Galileo, and argued that, no, we are not even close to the center of the universe. We're not even the center of our own solar system. That's the sun. And provided well-founded arguments, then there was this backlash because it meant that maybe humanity isn't as important as we once thought. To me, this is similar because a lot of the backlash against this idea includes, well, how can our universe just be one of infinite number? And a lot of people don't really like that. Even if they don't say it, I think that's a lot of the subconscious hesitance to this idea because they don't want to be just one in a million. Like They don't want to be just one of the number. Rather, they want to be one in a million or one in an infinite. They don't just want to be one of the group. So level two, according to this uh, Tegmark's taxonomy, are universes with different physical constraints. So different speeds of light constants, different... Da, 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 different constants and things like that that make up the law of our universe. This uses chaotic inflation theory, which is kind of... It, it basically predicts the existence of these bubble universes. So in a bubble universe, assume that the universes are in layers, right? They're stacked on top of each other, and they occupy essentially the same space, just in a slightly different way, so they're not interfering all the time at least. Now imagine, since space is expanding, this we know. Imagine all the those multiverses are expanding and expanding on top of each other. But, because of their independent and unique physical constraints, one or two, three, four, you know, a thousand stop expanding. These are bubble universes. And you can kind of treat these, at least according to this theory, as embryonic level one universes that'll eventually become that pattern of Hubble space or Hubble spheres. That's the idea, at least behind level two. Now level three, uh, this is one of actually the more mainstream of these ideas, and it's a common interpretation of quantum mechanics. You see, quantum mechanics states that certain things cannot be 100% predicted. There's always some, some variation in the responses. A common example of this is weather, or even throwing a, a die. If you throw a six-sided die, theoretically, there's no 100% accurate way to predict which side it will land on. Now, we can produce probabilities, maybe according to the variation in the density of the die, how you throw it, what the wind's like, things like that. We can predict and get percentage values, but really, we cannot come up with 100% certainty it'll land on a, you know, come up three. 
That's the same idea as the quantum multiverse theory. So each possibility, each one of these possible outcomes will form its actual own universe. And then below that, level two will form, where it'll start expanding, and some will be left behind and form bubble universes. And then these bubble universes will form still infinite more universes made up of those Hubble volumes. You see how it kind of cascades down. So level three is, is a the next step up, the building on top of level one. Level 3 also varies from level 1 in that it has many different possibilities and has many different universes in it, but where they exist is different. See, Tegmark believes the primary difference between level 1 and level 3 is where, quote, your doppelgangers reside. Now, doppelgangers, of course, are the idea is that someone else looks exactly like you in the world, and believe me, they're real. I've seen mine. But, back to the physics. Basically, level 1 has your doppelgangers out there, somewhere, in the great beyond of the reality, but in three-dimensional space. In that regular, old three-dimensional space that we're used to existing in. Level 3, though, has them in a different quantum dimension in something called Hilbert space. Uh, which is something... Well, I don't really want to get into that. But, needless to say, it's space that has multiple dimensions. It's Essentially, when you're doing things like vectors, it's a vector that has more than one dimension. So maybe a sine curve that slowly decreases its amplitude is an example of Hilbert space. So if you want to kind of simplify this more, imagine just two bubbles next to each other, or even two bubbles, infinite space apart from each other, that are exactly identical and contain a universe. Or you can kind of think about a timeline. Right, you, see, you remember a timeline from school where you see the line and it comes to an event and stops at that event. Now that event had three different outcomes, so now you see the timeline branch. And then those outcomes each branch off and branch off and branch off. But these events all happen at the same time. If you put like an axis on the bottom of the, the view that you're kind of imagining, think of like a number line and you just put T for time and you had it progress, there will keep being multiple universes kind of being created as these quantum possibilities in each event across T and it'll keep expanding but all the while T is constant that's one way I like to think about it it's not quite right but it's good enough for our purposes now level 4 is uh, Tegmark's own hypothesis which I find a little to be a little um, little arrogant and he sees his hypothesis as the quote ultimate mathematical multiverse theory hence that arrogance I just talked about and it basically considers that all possible forms of the multiverse are equally real as long as they can be described by mathematical analysis. So basically he says every one of your ideas is valid, but we have to describe them mathematically. A lot of mathematicians take issue with his equations and say that they are uh, oversimplistic or not, not simple enough to really describe such a general and wide-reaching idea. So, level 4 is generally not really well respected, even among those who do advocate for the multiverse theory. But level 3, specifically, is pretty well respected, as well as level 2. So, I mentioned earlier the name Brian Greene, and I'm sure many of you know who he is. Uh, but if you don't, he is an astrophysicist, he is very much outspoken, especially in pop culture today. So, he discusses a lot of these topics 
and there are nine of them he specifically talked about a lot. Now, either they overlap with the ones we talked about earlier, or they just weren't particularly interesting. So I picked the two that I kind of like the most, and I think are uh, the most unique and bring up kind of cooler arguments. So the first one is the quilted idea. And that's the idea that the whole of reality is populated by the multiverse, and it is infinite. Each universe is a quilt square. If you imagine, you see the square, and around the edges they're stitching, and that's how they were connected together. That stitching, that square there, is a universe. And the speed of light is constant throughout the quilt. The infinite quilt of reality. It seems really cozy. So, the reason why we are not aware of these other squares, even though we are, relatively speaking, quite close, is because the speed of light is constant. So, it can never reach the other squares. If that makes sense. We're never aware of the other squares, because as far as we know, uh, we really can't make things... There's some arguments with quantum mechanics, but as far as conventional physics is concerned, we can't be aware of other squares, because speed of light is constant. Now, the second theory is a little bit cooler to me. It's the brain theory. That's a B-R-A-N-E, not like the brain in your head. So it says that every universe is a membrane floating on in a higher dimension called the bulk. The membrane universes interact, and when they interact, they collide through some force that we just don't, maybe we don't understand, or maybe it's gravity, whatever it is. They come together and they collide, and there's a new big bang. Every universe has had multiple Big Bangs, and the system is cyclical, just Big Bang, and then a few trillion years, and Big Bang, and a few trillion years, and Big Bang. And maybe it's not a few trillion years in the same universe, but maybe it's longer, maybe it's shorter. But the idea is that every once in a while, they come together, and new universe. Everything's destroyed, wipe the slate clean, start over. And it goes on, and on, and on. Four of the other ones he's discussed are maybe not even related to brain at all, but they are still the idea of a cyclical universe that continues to be reborn through the Big Bang. I think that's extremely cool, although it kind of strikes a little weird because it makes you wonder... Because the idea of the brain, at least, is that you know, there's no other way to see it coming. There are some ideas that eventually our universe will expand so far that it will run out of energy and there's the heat death, and some people believe that it will collapse then and do a new Big Bang. The possibility that it comes back together and collapses and it's observable and we'll see it coming is kind of cool to me. The idea that just there could be a Big Bang, just Big Bang, is kind of a little more threatening, I guess. Okay, so the next theory is the M theory. It's similar to the brain theory. It's got some more nuances to it, which is why I included it on this list. It was also not discussed by Brian Greene. So it requires 11 space-time dimensions, which is 7 more than we have. There are several brains which are guided by a different number of dimensions. Ours is simply the one that has 3 dimensions in space and 1 dimension of time. So each brain has different numbers of dimensions and how those interact. I like to think of it as levels of water. If you imagine uh, water has similarities as it, you know, one level of water in the ocean has the similarities. But then you go to the next one, and maybe it's denser. Maybe less light gets there. And if you look at the, the flora and the fauna of 
the ocean, it is like a different world. As you get deeper and deeper and deeper, you look at deep sea fish, and they are completely unrecognizable. And in fact, die very dramatically if they were brought to our surface, because it's just a completely different environment. It's alien. They were never meant to live there. I like to think of it that way. If, like, somehow we were to be transplanted into another brain that uses a different number of dimensions, I don't think it would go super great for us. So that's how I like to think about it. And they're all layered on top of each other. So the last specific theory I want to talk about I stayed for last, one, because I think it's very cool and a little bit scary, but also very, very cool, which is kind of the theme for this show and relates to last week. So it's the black hole cosmology theory. The model essentially states that the observable universe is inside of a black hole, with the edges of the observable universe being the event horizon. I like this theory because it kind of builds itself into the mystery of black holes the idea that we can't observe what happens inside the event horizon. We have no idea, really, what happens down there. We're just guessing. And it slots itself neatly into the current universe model, because you just say, that's a universe, and you just plock it in there. And we understand how black holes interact with things around them, mostly. Kind of. A little bit, at least. So, like, the idea of just dropping a universe in there inside the event horizon where you just don't have to worry about it because it's inside the event horizon, I think is very attractive. Because I'm inclined to believe in the multiverse theory. I think it's very cool. I think the idea is kind of... I, I think the only word I can describe it is just neat. It's just a neat idea. And I want to believe it. And I think the idea that it's inside of a black hole is super understandable to me. I'm like, okay, that's fine. And it's also mind-boggling because it means that every black hole contains a universe and every universe contains black holes and it works its way down and down and then up we're inside of a black hole we're already in one we talked about last week how i'm afraid i am that a black hole is going to come and gobble up the solar system we're already in one guys that's really cool to me and you can also think about it as you get closer to a black hole the time dilation effects also get stretched out so essentially if you're very close to a black hole there's actually one thing the movie Interstellar did properly when they were near the black hole and the gravity was just messing with time. There were some parts that weren't right, but the time messing up, spot on. And that was really cool to me because maybe we, you know, the universe is inside the black hole and maybe it actually exists for an instant to the rest of the universe outside of the event horizon that is our observable universe. But to us, it is trillions of years because of that simple fact that there's so much gravity, our time is messed up. I think that's very cool. It also reminds me of the cat, if you've ever seen the movie, the movies Men in Black, Galaxy just dangling on its collar. That's very cool, and it just it reminds me of that idea. The other cool thing about this, and the last, time, last thing I'm going to gush about on this episode, is that it includes white holes, which are a very fringe theory that I really like Mostly because it's so fringe and it's very weird, and also I'm afraid of black holes, and the idea that there's some there's the anti-black hole out there is very appealing to me. So that's the last you know kind of thing I really like about this theory. So all of these theories, the, the multiverse theories, uh, the multiple multi multiverses, if you will, are kind of 
all worked into this idea of the anthropic principle. If you look at the multiverse theory, in many ways it's used to explain why our universe just seems so finely tuned for life as we know it, or conscious life. We can't even comprehend a form of life that doesn't require the Goldilocks zone, that doesn't require liquid water, that doesn't run on DNA. It's just not even in our I very idea. We cannot comprehend it. And the universe seems happy to provide. There's water, there's asteroids, or there's comets covered in ice. And maybe it's not liquid. Maybe it's not easy to get to. But there's water out there. There's heat. There's warmth. And if we can just figure out a way to harness it, we can live. That seems very convenient to us. Our universe could be way more dangerous. So if there are infinite universes, there must be others who have the natural laws conducive to producing life as we know it. And if that's the case, there must be other life forms in other universes. So even if there's none in our universe, there were other universes that have life and just needs time. And I like that idea because I really want there to be intelligent life elsewhere. I think if humanity's all we're intelligent life is going to get, we're a poor showing. And so honestly, anything that will really enhance the possibility of intelligent life elsewhere, I'm on board with. So there's this kind of subset of this principle called the weak anthropic principle. And to me, it's kind of a darker application or maybe a less popular one because it does uh, take up that age-old science battle of battling with religion, which in many ways I think is pointless and not actually applicable, but, you know, it is what it is. So it concludes that we as conscious beings according to our understanding, exist in a finely tuned universe. Because of this, and the infinite possibilities of the multiverse, there are other finely tuned universes like I just talked about. They're rare, but they exist elsewhere. And therefore, there did not have to be a creator to build a universe conducive to life as we know it. So this is one of the major arguments against the idea of the intelligent designer which a lot of Catholics are, are interested in. That idea that it was the universe was sculpted and formed kind of by a guiding hand to be ideal for conscious life and humanity specifically. It says that there is no need for that because even if our universe was hostile, there would be another one that wasn't. And that is something that a lot of scientists who advocate uh, atheism or ag advocate the lack of a creator like about the multiverse theory because it helps explain why our universe is so good for us and maybe there are universes out there that are very bad for life and there's just no life there that's just how it works like, there's just not life to be going and investigating going man I wish there was better conditions here for us because they would not have formed if there weren't good conditions to me this is kind of similar to the argument about finding life or habitable plants elsewhere, because you look at, say, even if a hundredth of a percent of, of terrestrial planets are conducive to life, due to, like, the nearly infinite nature of our universe, our observable universe, or even our galaxy, there's gotta be planets elsewhere that are conducive to life, and say a thousandth of a percent of those produce their life, I'm sure there's at least one. So, it's just going bigger to me. 
it's the idea that, okay, well, there's infinite planets, nearly, and even if you bring the chances for finding life on one of them down to a microscopic percent, there's got to be at least one. The multiverse theory takes one step back and expands that even further in saying that there's an infinite multiverse. We know that the observable universe is finite. We can measure this roughly. We know that it's finite and it's just expanding, but like the matter in it and what's here is finite. The multiverse theory removes that. just says it's infinite. And it's a great boon for people that want to find life elsewhere, even if we won't find it because, well, that's not our universe. Okay, so thank you so much for listening to this week's The Universe and You. I hope you found it interesting and uh, hopefully not offensive. I did talk about religion a little bit in there, and that might have been not okay, but... I apologize if you uh, took any issue with it, and I encourage you, please reach out, and I would love to have a conversation about it. I think it's super interesting, the intersection of science and religion, and um, I think you might be surprised about what I have to say about it. So next week, we're going to be covering uh, just a general overview of quantum mechanics. I really like this next few weeks just being a a step back, a step at looking at the fundamental buildup of reality. So this week was kind of the introduction to that with the multiverse theory, We'll get more in-depth into, uh, or either, we will just talk about another way things could exist in quantum mechanics and how it intersects with traditional physics. So uh, I'm really looking forward to that. And then in two weeks, we're actually going to do string theory. So again, super looking forward to it. If you have anything to add to the conversation, or you want me to make sure I include, or even some possible topics for the future, please, please, please email me, comment on iTunes. Uh, the email is snn at signifyingnothingnetwork.com. That's Sierra, November, November. Uh, please, please reach out. I'd love to hear from you. So if you guys could go ahead and comment, like, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, really appreciate it. We're just starting out. Our network's just starting out. I'm just starting out on this show, and I really want to see it kind of grow a little bit because I think there's a cool market for this. And if there's not a cool market for this one, uh, there might be for our other show, which I'll plug in a bit. Please share us on Facebook, uh, Twitter, with just with your friends. Listen to us in the car. Whatever it takes. I'm really not picky. I'll beg. I'll do it. Our Facebook page is uh, facebook.com forward slash signifying nothing network. Our website is signifying nothing network.com forward slash T-U-A-Y. It's just the acronym. And uh, so Sci-Fi Sidebar. My sister and I do that show. We kind of get together. We have already read books, so we're not just going to read them on the show. We do kind of a brief synopsis of the book uh, written by us. Uh, the first one, couple of ones we did, my sister wrote, just, they were very cool. They had a very good, cool sense of kind of gravitas of the, the overarching ideas and and the hope for the in the books. I think they're really cool. So I encourage you to please go listen to Sci-Fi Sidebar. It's on iTunes. Uh, it'll be elsewhere soon. It's a very cool discussion about, we talk about like the morals, the philosophy, the general ideas of these books and how they can relate to kind of what we're thinking about, like where we're at in our minds, where we're at in our lives. Those are very cool, and I super enjoy doing them, and I really actually enjoyed listening to them. I felt a little uh, egotistical listening to one of the episodes the other day after I finished editing, but I really enjoyed it, and I got a kick out of it. Uh, it was also pretty funny, so if, I, if I'm going to toot my own horn. So far out, we have The Martian, and we have Ender's Game, just the first book. And coming out in February, we have Jurassic Park. So if you've been looking for an excuse to kind of pick up that old classic by Michael Crichton, please do so. Pick, sit down, 
read it. You have a couple weeks. We'll be releasing it on February 1st. And kind of go into it with a fresh idea, maybe an open mind. For some of these books, we also kind of do research into it. My sister's very good at this, and she goes and finds out what real people are saying about these books. And we talk about it in a separate episode, or maybe the same. These episodes get pretty long, so we usually do a separate one. But um, I encourage you to go check it out. But, you know, don't worry about it. Just subscribe to this one if that one's not your cup of tea. Whatever it takes. Uh, warning, though, that one is does involve some explicit language. It's marked explicit on iTunes, but I don't want anyone emailing me saying they played it for their kids and got mad. Okay, everyone, so this has been The Universe in You by the Signifying Nothing Podcast Network, a tale told by an idiot. Have a good, existentially unimportant week.